Hi, everyone. Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Andrea Pearson, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Joe Lalo. And I'm Lindsay Baroker. And this week, we decided we wanted to take a look at the 1,000 True Fans concept, the one that, oh, what's his name? Kevin Kelly, I think, came up with. He kind of explained it a while ago, 2008 or something. Anyway, basically it's, you know, having a thousand true fans and how to keep them once you gain them. We're just, we wanted to delve into it because we haven't discussed it on this on this show before. And um, all three of us find the concept interesting. Um, I guess we're going to go into news now. And I guess I'm first. I'm, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't planning on going first, but okay. So um, I've had to put writing on hold again, um, which is super frustrating. I think, you know, anybody who's listening knows how frustrating it is once you get really excited to start writing and then things external to you take over. Um, but several projects I was, I put off while recovering from surgery have reached boiling point And some of them are, they relate to Christmas. So I had to get them done before tomorrow and the day after, because we're recording this on the 23rd of December. Um, but anyway, so our toddler also has been super, super hard this last week. I don't, we don't know why he's just been super mischievous, but I can't take my attention off of him for more than a few seconds at a time. So like yesterday I went upstairs, really, I was like, I'm mean, just going to go shower really fast. I hadn't showered in four days, guys. <laughs> I was like, I have to go shower. I was gone from when I left downstairs and got to the bathroom, showered and came back down, I was gone 15 minutes. And while I was gone during that time, he crushed graham crackers all over the living room, the kitchen and the carpet and the couches and everything. And my eight, my nine-year-old, she just turned eight. She's, she was like, I couldn't stop him. And I'm like, she's, she's not strong enough um, to, to stop him anymore. And he's too, he's just too energetic. And of course the messes he creates take way longer to clean up than they do for him to create in the first place. So it's been pretty discouraging. Um, I need to get creative and figure out a way to keep him entertained long enough for me to get some writing in and homeschool, of course. Um, and I've, I've been there, been here in the past with my toddlers before they just reach this point where they are super rambunctious, mischievous and active. And I think listeners with little kids who have, or have had little kids will recognize that, but, um, and sometimes it takes me sitting down and figuring out what I need to do to keep them entertained while I write. And other times it's just waiting until the phase passes, or of course it's the getting up early or going to bed late. And I'm like, okay, so either I need to embrace staying up until practically midnight, midnight to write, or I need to be okay with going to bed right after the kids do. So I can wake up early. The problem with going to bed early to wake up early is I don't, I need that wind down time after the kids are in bed because there's constant noise. Like I need that quiet time alone to myself where I can kind of stare at a wall for a while anyway. So it's just hard, but, and I'm not sleeping super well yet since the surgery. So I, I can't really sacrifice time in bed and and I can't anyway, because I get sick when I do. So I don't know, hopefully next week I'll be more uplifting and less discouraging for listeners. <laughs> hopefully next week I'll be able to say, I finished a whole book. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great over Christmas? It's not going to happen. Okay, Joe, your turn. <laughs> uh, yeah. You never know, but uh, yeah, I, I don't really have very much to, to uh, report. I sort of planned this period, this, this end of the year period to be a time when I was sort of taking things easy. And in this case, taking things easy means I've written 20,000 words uh, for the first book of, uh, well, sorry, for, for book four of Greater Lands. So I'm keeping good pace, but uh, it's, mostly because I did a better outline than I did. I, I took it easy on outlines the past couple of books and I have learned that I'm much better now if I have an outline than, than I'll, I'll pants my short stories and outline my, my long stories from now on. And other than that, I did some tax stuff and uh, I, 
four of my uh, my audio book or four of my books that didn't have audio books yet. I sent over to the audio book folks. So I'll be filling out my audio book profile. And that's that's about it for me. All right. For the geeks in the audience, and this is what came to my mind when Andrea said it's it's easier to destroy graham crackers and clean them up. All right. For the Facebook group, first one to name who said this quote, as a matter of cosmic history, it has always been easier to destroy than to create. I'm sure lots of people said it, but a sci-fi person also said it. Um, I'm going to share for the news a couple of software tools that listener and fellow Oregonian author R.A. Nargi, Nargi, who he writes the Star Rim Empire Adventures. Uh, he sent these to me after I was saying I wish I had a wiki wiki of all my stuff, so it would be easier to easy to find. Um, so the first thing he suggested. Uh, these are just a couple of software tools you guys, I thought you guys may be interested in too. Um, Obsidian, and I'll put these in the show notes, but this is a free connected notes software that makes it really easy to create your own mini Wikipedia for your series. You write plain text markdown notes, and you can easily add links to other notes and tags. It makes it super easy to keep track of characters and locations. And that was Obsidian. And the other one is Online Glossary Maker. And he says, an author who is also a coder, James Murdo, made this free tool to extract a list of all the proper nouns from your manuscript. You upload a Word doc and the software then generates a list of all unique names. Uh, He says, my most recent sci-fi novel, which launches tomorrow or is launched by the time you hear this, had over 350 names, characters, planets, technology, historical figures, etc. The glossary is great because it also catches if you spelled a name inconsistently, which I am horrible about. And sometimes my editor like things to make a note and checks them all. But uh, sometimes (laughs) some slip by and it's usually a typo hunter's like, did you know you spelled Morgan with an E and an A in this series? Uh... No, I did not. Um, but I think that's it for my newsy stuff. Uh, Andrew, did you want to introduce the idea? Or do you want me just to read the? <laughs> you were going to explain it, but then you were in the intro, you're like, uh, some guy, Kevin Kelly, <laughs> I think he said this thing. The idea is that um, if you have a thousand true fans, you can make like $100,000 a year and enough to make a living on so that's kind of what we're going to be discussing but go ahead did you i was gonna i was just gonna say and now Lindsay is going to explain kevin kelly's theory because you got you you put all the notes in there so (laughs) well i was we were going to kind of summarize it but he's done an updated version to his essay and we'll link to that in the show notes too and it's i don't know it's a couple pages so i'm going to try to read let's see guys like you can just scan through it if you want i mean it's it's not that long if it's small font. <laughs> <laughs> is that the secret? It is in small font. I'll be like squinting it. Okay. But um, yeah, I think it's, oh shoot, I screwed it up. Okay. <laughs> I'll just read it. Cause I think he's, he said, you know, it's better in his own words. Obviously we're not the best at summarizing. If we were, we could write blurbs without crying, whining about it. Uh, So he writes, to be a successful creator, you don't need millions. You don't need millions of dollars or millions of customers, millions of clients, or millions of fans. To make a living as a craftsperson, photographer, musician, designer, author, animator, app maker, entrepreneur, or inventor, you only need a thousand 
true, or only thousands of true fans. A true fan is defined as a fan that will buy anything you produce. These diehard fans will drive 200 miles to see you sing. They will buy the hardback and paperback and audible versions of your book. They will purchase your next figurine sight unseen. They will pay for the best of DVD version of your free YouTube channel. They will come to your chef's table once a month. If you have roughly a thousand true fans like this, also known as super fans, you can make a living if you are content to make a living but not a fortune. Here's how the math works. You need to meet two criteria. First, you have to create enough each year that you can earn on average $100 profit from each true fan. That is easier to do in some arts and businesses than others, but it is a good creative challenge in every area because it always it's always easier and better to give your existing customers more than to find new fans. Second, you must have a direct relationship with your fans. That is, they must pay you directly. You get to keep all of their support, unlike the small percent of their fees you might get from a music label, publisher, studio, retailer, or other intermediate. If you keep the full $100 of each true fan, then you only need 1,000 of them to earn $100,000 per year. That's a living for most folks. And of course, not every fan will be super. While the support of a thousand true fans may be sufficient for a living, for every single true fan, you might have two or three regular fans. Think of concentric circles with true fans at the center and a wider circle of regular fans around them. These regular fans may buy your creations occasionally, or they may have bought only once, but their ordinary purchases expand your total income. Perhaps they bring in an, in, a, in an additional 50%. Still, you want to focus on the super fans because the enthusiasm of true fans can increase the patronage of regular fans. True fans not only are the direct source of your income, but also your chief marketing force for the ordinary fans. The mathematics of 1,000 true fans is not a binary choice. You don't have to go this route to the exclusion of another. Many creators, including myself, will use direct relations with superfans in addition to mainstream intermediaries. I have been published by several big-time New York publishers. I have self-published, and I have used Kickstarter to publish to my true fans. I chose each format depending on the content and my aim. But in every case, cultivating my true fans enriches the route I chose. The takeaway... 1,000 true fans is an alternative path to success other than stardom. Instead of trying to reach the narrow and unlikely peaks of platinum bestseller hits, blockbusters, and celebrity status, you can aim for a direct connection with 1,000 true fans. On your way, no matter how many fans you actually succeed in gaining, you'll be surrounded not by faddish infatuation, but by genuine and true appreciation. It's a much saner destiny to hope for, and you are much more likely to actually arrive there. And I will post a link to the essay if you want to read it, and he's got the original one on there too. All right, Andrea, I'll let you talk. (laughs) Okay, for like two seconds. So, um, yeah, like I said in the beginning, the purpose of this episode is to basically, we just wanted to delve into this to see if this is still accurate today, if a thousand true fans still still applies today. And then basically talk about, um, you know, what you do to get there and what you do to lose them and things like that. So we're going to go ahead and talk about whether, on our opinion, um, whether a thousand true fans still applies today. And Lindsay, it's your turn. <laughs> All right. I put myself first today. Um, so yeah, I absolutely think it's still applies today. I actually came across this essay early on in my publishing career. I think I blogged about it maybe in 2011. And I think it's easier today in some ways than when he first wrote the original essay in 2008. And it's just, 
you know, you could always sell direct from your site, but it's easier now to integrate and use PayHip or whatever. And then we've got things like BookFunnel to help out with delivery. We've got Kickstarter. I don't remember if that was around in 2008. It's been around for a while. And Patreon. These are, you know, not quite as direct as selling from your site, but they're, you're keeping a much higher percentage of the royalty and you can interact directly with your uh, those who sign up for it your patrons <laughs> or your kickstartees, whatever they're called on that platform. Uh, so you can keep like a much bigger portion of what people pay, like above 90% instead of if you're self-published through Amazon and the other stores, you might be making 70%, which is not bad at all, but the traditional published people are making more like 10, 15%. And that gets really rough. Like you really need to sell lots and lots of books to make a decent income on that. So I, I do think this still applies today and it's, it's a less daunting goal to shoot for. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of weird that it is because you probably need to sell tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of books to find a thousand true fans who adore your stuff and will buy everything. But it's like a little more concrete than, you know, it's, it's kind of not forever necessarily, but it's not all about one book launch. It's about finding people who are going to buy every single book launch. So like every time you find one, that's helping you secure future income. Whereas if you, especially if you write standalone stuff instead of series, it's every time you launch a new book, you're starting from scratch almost. I mean, you get, you're building up a mailing list, of course, but uh, it's just, it's very nice knowing those of you who do Patreon and you get like monthly income or every time you do a new project, it's sort of like, it's not guaranteed, but it's more guaranteed than, you know, how many you're going to sell at your next book launch. Uh, I absolutely agree that particularly with Patreon, uh, that things have gotten easier in that regard. I feel like Patreon almost single-handedly is responsible for reinforcing and amplifying and underscoring the thousand true fans concept. Like it's, generally a monthly thing and therefore you sort of have a concrete accounting of how many people are signed up and at what level uh that they are like we talk about concentric circles of fans there's literally tiers that you can support at on patreon so it sort of gives you an idea well here's folks who are in it for the books and that's great i love it and here's folks who want to give me a little extra so you really have a very good it gives you an excellent picture of of what your what your true fans look like and also, it makes $100 a year from each fan into a much more manageable $8.34 a month from each fan. Like, it, it just seems less when you do it that way. Um, uh, but also, uh, I should point out, just as a side effect uh, with, well, as a side note with Patreon, apparently you can now, uh, fans can now support you on Patreon annually. Uh, like it's now an option so that they can be like, I love you. And I know I'm going to support you for a year and I don't want a $5 charge every month. So can I do 60 up front? And that's an option now. Uh, so, uh, you know, there's, there's also a flexibility involved with pay. I I didn't intend to talk only about Patreon on this part, but the tools that exist now, uh, are, are really very good at giving you a clear picture and a, a direct method for people to, uh, to support you. And you get it just a, clear as day number uh, that you can sort of work toward if you're shooting for the the mythical thousand uh, true fans. I love that about Patreon because I usually pay for everything in a year of time instead of going monthly because, you know, it's usually cheaper. And plus I hate having to have lots of month monthly things coming in and out of my bank account. Um, okay. So I'm kind of an oddball here. Um, and I, and I've always recognized this about myself when it comes to thousand true fans, but I've always struggled with the concept 
Um, I'm going to address this in the next section, but I'm a practical person and I know I attract practical readers. I don't believe even super fans buy everything someone produces in every format and finding personalities like that in readers is very difficult. Um, I don't know, a super fan who follows Kevin Kelly's model tends to have a disposable income and they tend to be younger and fine with, in my opinion, throwing money all over the place because this is who, how I am. I, I, even when I'm so fangirling over something, I buy one. <laughs> I don't buy more than one. Um, the average target audience for nearly every author is someone in their 50-ish, 50th, 50s-ish. Um, people in their 50s are much more practical than, than younger readers. They tend to be frugal, even if they're wealthy. But to answer the question, yes, I think the concept still works. And I definitely agree that it is easier now because of Patreon and Kickstarter. By the way, Kickstarter started in 2009. I looked it up while Lindsay was talking. Um, but I will argue that it's possible, possibly harder to maintain the 1,000 true fans now than it was before. Um, basically, I don't know, even when I was producing enough content for readers to be spending $100 a year on me, keeping them engaged or catching their attention long enough to get them to follow through felt nearly impossible compared to the first five or six years of indie publishing. And there's a lot more noise and tons more distractions now. So, and those who tend toward that, that love, that appreciation, that kind of rabbit sort of fandom that Kevin is talking about are far more easily distracted now than they were in the past. Uh, and this is just my opinion, keeping their attention on you is harder now. And I, I don't, I know, okay, I know that that is not necessarily true. That's just the way I perceive things because that's how I am. Not necessarily the having a hard time keeping my attention, but I just, I don't, I don't, I don't buy a whole bunch of different copies of something <laughs> when I fall in love with somebody. And I don't, I don't know many readers who do, even the ones who are the rabid super fans of an author. Um, anyway, so uh, I will be talking a little bit more about that again in just a minute, but we're going to go ahead and discuss would a thousand true fans work or would we be better served searching for 10,000 true fans? We'll just discuss our opinions on that. And I think Lindsay's first, right? Yeah. And I did want to comment too on not a rebuttal, but I think you've kind of got a period where well, not so much. I think this is what the numbers tell us as far as disposable income, you've got younger people in their twenties, kind of that dual income, no kids type of people that usually have a lot of money to spend. And then you've also got the, actually the fifties and up once the kids move out often, they have a lot more disposable income. So you are in that 30 to 50 range. We're thinking, you know, that's probably going to be a tighter group at the same time. People are making more as their careers, you know, as they get older. So, you know, it, I'm not saying that, you're wrong or that's not your experience or anything. I feel like the, the whole thousand true fans thing is that if you've had it work for you, you're like, well, yes, duh, obviously. And if you're, it's a little elusive still, like a lot of, I think a lot of folks in the audience are going to be like, well, maybe I have like five true fans, but I just haven't sold enough books yet. Or also if you kind of switch series and pen names a lot, that's going to make it a little harder than when you're really concentrated, you know, like the first six years, I think I only did high fantasy for the most part. So I think that made it a little easier because people that liked that and liked my style were going to jump on board. Whereas um, I know you, Andrea, have done some different things and now medical romance and <laughs> a new pen name. So I think it's a little more challenging. You, I think you're going to mention it later, talk a little bit about consistency too, uh, as far as how that helps you attract people so i'm not not to like say oh andrea you're obviously all wrong or anything like that because we all have our own experiences but i you know uh it's funny i don't consider myself at all a rabid fangirl type i never go to like even if i enjoy an artist i don't go to their concerts i'm not going to buy their t-shirts but i i was laughing and you know i was reading your notes and 
I do have some authors where I've, I have the ebook paperback, sometimes even the hardback and the audiobook. And it's not because I'm, I was like, oh, I have to have every format. It's because over the years I've wanted different things or I lost the paperback. So I've rebought the ebook and then I decided that I wanted to listen instead of reading. So I got up the audiobook. So some of these things too may play out over a career rather than like, yeah. oh, on release day. That's a really good point. And I think that your point earlier, um, which I, I, you know, it wasn't in your notes. And so I didn't have time to think about it, but you were like, it's more going to come into play when somebody's sold hundreds of thousands and I've, I've made six figures, but I haven't sold hundreds of thousands of different books. You know, I mean, I've done really well with one specific series, but I think that um, I have several super fans, but I don't think I've ever had a thousand true fans. And so I think that's a really good point. You know, and I was like, that's a really good point. Um, hopefully I'll get there, you know, <laughs> I'm sure you will. And, you know, I think that this is actually almost more for traditionally published authors, I would say. At least they, it's not that it doesn't apply to us, but isn't the authors we already make 70% on the ebooks? We're not getting screwed over by the system as much, basically. Um, but you have a lot of like mid list traditionally published authors who they're selling tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, copies of a book when they release a new book. And they have a lot of fans, but because their percentage is so small, they may be lucky to make like 40,000, 50,000 a year. And the, you know, by doing things like the Patreon, or the Kickstarter or selling bonus things direct from your site, which is sort of ultimately even better, you know, even though a lot of us authors, we like don't want to do the extra tech stuff, myself included, or the customer service of uh, doing things direct from your website. Um, but so I, I feel almost that it's maybe even more for traditionally published authors than for indie authors, not that we can't discuss which I'll do. Uh, so yeah, you were, you already introduced like would a thousand true fans work or do we need to search for 10,000 true fans? And interestingly, that was kind of my thought back in 2011 or whenever I first read this, like, Oh, as an author, you definitely need more than a thousand. You, uh, you need 10,000. And that was before Kickstarter and Patreon and other ways of making obvious other obvious ways. There's always, um, creative people find ways to, uh, charge more and make more for you know there's always the possibility of doing like a subscription for a web serial or things like that but i you know at the time i was thinking well i'm only making like 350 for each ebook i sell at five dollars so you need ten thousand um but yeah would they i feel like we're a commercial for patreon in this one it's just easy you know it's kind of sort of the easy way to do it this particular year but you know i've got people signing up at a ten dollar level at a $5 level and even a $25 level. And one person just randomly did $65 for his first charge. And I didn't even know people had the reason, had the option to do that. And when I did a Kickstarter back in like maybe 2012 to fund the audiobooks of my early, my first series, I had people pay $500 for, you know, like $20 worth of signed paperbacks and also having a character named after them in a story. So to make a living on a thousand fans, you know, you are going to have to be doing something more than just selling eBooks and making three or $4, but you know, and your casual fans may not be interested in paying for all those extra perks. Like there's a lot of authors I'll read, but I'm not going to seek out if they have a Patreon or anything. But if I fall in love with a series, <laughs> you know, then I'm, then I'm kind of yours. Like I'll give you the money here. Just give me some cool extra stuff. And I think it is important to remember, like uh, Joe pointed out, the concentric circles point that Kevin Kelly made in the updated essay. So along the way, while you're looking for your thousand true fans, you're going to find a lot of casual fans and they add to your income as well. 
Um, and also as authors, we gradually build up large backlists. So when a new true fan finds us, or even a semi-interested casual fan, they might spend dozens or hundreds of dollars going back and devouring everything in your backlist, uh, depending how many books you have, you have out. So really, you can actually make a living on fewer than a thousand true fans as an author, assuming you've also got a lot of casual fans buying your books in, in the stores. I've only got about 500 people on my Patreon. I don't really push that that whole much that much because it's extra work. But um, I make a lot more than 100,000 a year that he talks about because obviously I'm selling in other places too. So it's just uh, something to work towards. But understanding that on the road to a thousand true fans, you're going to be selling a whole lot of other books uh, in the stores. Yeah, and something to think that's important. Uh, is that the thousand true fans we're talking about don't exist in a vacuum. Like I, this is in the initial thing, uh, the initial essay, but um, you don't, and, and as Lindsay said, you don't even really require direct sales if you're self published because you're getting a much more, larger slice than a lot of other, you know, people who are creators uh, and the algorithm still exists and organic book sales, sales still exist and word of mouth still exists. And those thousand true fans are doing more than just, you know, paying you the money for your thing. They're talking about your thing. And they're, if they're buying it on a, on a uh, platform, then they're, they're given a, a kick to, uh, to make it more visible to other people by moving up the ranks. During my highest earning years, I was doing virtually no direct sales. I think the only thing you could directly purchase from me when I was at my highest earning was I would do signed paperbacks and I sold maybe, a, I don't know, 20 of them a year. It was not a thing. But uh, I was getting between 600 and 900 pre-orders. And that's not a, that's not a gigantic a number, but 600 or 900 pre-orders was enough to, to get me started with a couple of dozen re- uh, reviews before very long. And it would give me a, you know, especially since I'm wide, a lot of those pre-orders were hitting on, on all at the same time on other pages and kicking me up into the top 20 of my genre. And uh, yeah, so it doesn't sound like I should be making a really strong living with those sort of numbers, but it was literally my highest earning years. That's what I was looking at because those fans were able to get me started and send me out to that next layer of fans who maybe are only going to be interested in this book or maybe only in this series, but the, the, the true fans helped to the casual fans find me. And obviously naturally $10,000, uh, 10,000 fans would be better when we're talking about book sales. More is always better. And, uh, and those same numbers probably wouldn't give you quite the same nudge now as they did then because of a few things. I was actually talking to my sister-in-law about this earlier. This, the way that books are recommended and organic discovery is a little bit harder and advertising is a little, a little bit more necessary. But, um, you know, don't underestimate the impact of a few hundred sales, especially when they're, you know, in a relatively short period of time. It can do it even on standard bookstores. And and again, at five bucks a book, you're making about 350 per sale. So a thousand sales is three thousand uh, is $3,500. And that's the cost of a full high quality edit, a high quality cover, and a fair amount of promo. So if you have a thousand true fans, and even if all they're doing is purchasing your book on on the uh, the bookstore of their choice, they're starting your book off in the black. And every subsequent sale is earnings. Like now the the book has paid for itself. All the rest of that money is becoming your you know your salary. So uh, yeah, a thousand true fans I think is an enormous uh, uh, benefit still today. I love that Joe and Lindsay are both super encouraging about this and my notes are all, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> sorry, Lindsay, what? No, I don't know. I was just going <laughs> to, 
say something snarky, but I decided not. But it is, I think it's good because I, I always want to tell people, yes, you can do this, but there's probably 95% of the audience is like, nah, man, I've been doing this for 10 years or five years and I don't have any true fans yet or I'm not enough to move the dial. Or maybe they're like, I do have a thousand true fans, but they're not really going to do what you think that that's, that's the way I felt. I mean, I, I know I have true fans and your comment earlier about as life changes, like I can totally see myself as you're, when you said that, I'm like, I could see myself buying an audiobook or maybe buying a print book so that, you know, I, you know, my daughter can enjoy it as well, you know, and across the years. Um, but then, then comes the problem of, is that, you know, going to help you in the current year? Maybe not, but if you get a thousand of them doing that across 10 years, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, okay. So I'm just going to give my comments the way I wrote them down and then maybe apologize for them later. I don't know. <laughs> so for me in my current situation, I, I kind of feel like 10,000 true fans is necessary. Uh, I'm going to approach this from the perspective of someone who has their time swallowed up by young kids. So, you know, being a mom is one of the only 24 hours a day jobs out there. But uh, if you're writing books that sell, you sell for $4.99, you absolutely have to be giving them outside perks too, like Patreon, Kickstarter, et cetera, in order to add up to 100 a year, unless you're writing that much in books every year, which if you have young kids, you're not, uh, to make the math easy. And we're saying direct sales because that's one of his thing. You know, he's like direct sales from your website. Uh, let's say you're getting $5 from every direct ebook sell in order to get $100 from one person. That's like 20, 20 books a year, which, yeah, <laughs> unless you're... James Patterson. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, um, throw in a paperback and assume you're selling it direct for $12. That gets you about $17 per person, which is just under $6, six books a year. And so I, and I say three books a year is about the maximum some of the young kids will be doing though. I, I mean, I've done four books a year in the past with side projects, side, no, well, side books for school, the school and all that, but it was all before this current toddler came around. So I do know that more is possible, but you know, your situation is going to vary. Um, add in an audiobook and voila, you've reached your goal. Um, and unfortunately, this is where I address what I brought up earlier um, and where I'm still processing my thoughts and just based off of what Joe and Lindsay have said. So most super fans are regular people too, even when they're obsessed with someone. And again, this is my perspective. When I'm obsessed, I don't, I don't become rabid. I, I'm just not that personality. I don't, I don't rabid, <laughs> rabid eyes. Uh, they don't always buy the book in every single format, but like Lindsay said across, you know, they, when they're life situation changes or whatever it, they might buy the, buy the audiobook and the print and all that. Anyway, sometimes it's because they can't afford to other times it's because the format doesn't apply to them. And again, this is my experience, but like somebody, I have readers who would die, literally die before they bought an ebook or literally die before they buy a print book. Um, and I know that, I mean, you hold a gun to the head, they're probably going to buy a print book or an ebook, but they're not going to think about it automatically because it's not something that's it just doesn't occur to them. That's at least that's from what I've seen. Um, anyway, so what it all boils down to is to offer additional perks through something like a Kickstarter or a Patreon account, which is super beneficial. If you can't do enough content every single year, like by way of a full novel, then a Kickstarter would be fantastic. And Patreon would be absolutely fantastic. Um, and we've already established that established those as making the goal easier to achieve. And then I also struggle with the, as the work aspect of the thousand true fans not getting the actual work done itself because I have zero problems with putting my shoulder to, to the wheel, so to speak, but finding the time to do it. I need to create the content in the first place. Then I need to find the time to manage a Patreon account or Kickstarter campaign, then muster the enthusiasm. It's not easy to get enthusiastic when you're constantly on, on, in the red every single day. You're just burning every 
both sides of the candle and your candles only half an inch thick, you know, at half an inch long. This is one reason why I don't do big, big book launches because my, my fuse, my abilities to get excited about things are, is really low sometimes. Anyway, um, let's see, where am I in here? Okay. So all while cleaning up after my kids in homeschooling. So Patreon fell for me because I, because I barely had the time to create content in the first place, but it also fell for me. And in retrospect, it fell for me because my number one strength is focus. If I can't one and done it, I'm not going to be successful at something. And this is, I'm coming to recognize this about myself. If I have to do something that requires regular maintenance, even having an assistant do it for me, it's not something I'm going to be super successful at. And Patreon requires consistency and someone who has has focus as a high strength, isn't super consistent. We zero in on what we want and everything else falls away and has no power to distract us. And then we don't go back to that thing that we did. That's one of the things with focus. You, you do it and then you're done and you don't do it again. Uh, and that's why novels work super or stories in general work super well for, for me and other focus peoples, because you don't have to recreate that same scenario over and over again. Um, and when I set up my Patreon account, and this is how I am with every single project, I put everything else on my life in hold until I am done, like writing everything. So when I write a book, everything else gets put on hold. I don't do email during that time. I don't do anything. And then when I'm done with that, you know, same with marketing, I don't do anything else except I don't, yeah, anything else except what I'm currently focusing on. And it's very dissatisfying to me and nearly impossible to do things that I can't, that I have to do over and over again. Anyway, so I think what I'm trying to say is if you have a focus as a high strength, you're going to need to find a different way to make the 1000 true fans concept work for you. Um, and if you're also practical like me or don't have time to sell direct and I hate shipping things, you'll probably decide that 10,000 true fans is what you need to reach the goal of 100,000 a year. And Lindsay has a quick comment. Um, two seconds, though. But I, again, <laughs> what? no, not you, me. I need to finish. Oh, my okay. Sorry. Here. Sorry. Um, but again, that I wrote all this before listening to Lindsay and Joe and I do and like just hearing another opinion. I'm like, you know what? They're right. Um, if you have true fans and I know I have true fans, but I don't have a thousand of them, then they're going to do things that you don't expect people to do. Like they surprise you and, and all of that. So I don't know. So we'll, we'll just we'll see how things go with me with medical romance. Part of the problem is, is I get super excited for this project and I start it, but then kids in life distract and take me away from things. And so I'm not able to really hit full burn on things. And I'm really hoping with medical romance, it'll be a little bit different. Plus we're almost done having kids and then it'll be, it'll be all uphill or downhill. I don't know. It'll all be better after that. Anyway, Lindsay, <laughs> I just wanted to say that I feel like maybe you're, um, not confusing is not the word you're thinking of this as books sold that's it this is how many books paperbacks audiobooks you can sell but in the essay he's very you know these need to be the people that you have some tier higher tier that they're going to spend more like it's not just you don't have to put in more work necessarily and do more things like I, I would say almost every traditional published author I've come across on Patreon in sci-fi and fantasy at least they don't do anything <laughs> They, they, they sometimes they do like blog posts but a lot of them are just like hey um we need a little extra money we only get paid twice a year by traditional publishing and they've got people that are just you know i was just looking at one there's a couple they started publishing in the 80s so they've been around for a while and been consistent but they do a book or, or less a year with their traditional contract and they're getting like 3200 a month from patreon just from fans that want to support them and they're not doing more work. I actually noticed they blog more now. And I think that's probably because they've had 
they're, you know, they've, their fans have excited them and they're paying them every month and they're excited about it. Like when I looked at them two years ago, I think it was just like, Hey, we're, we have, we're having trouble with the bills. Um, so if you want to support us, we'd appreciate it. And, you know, so it, it's the, the whole idea with the true fan is beyond they're willing to put down money beyond the latest book and you don't necessarily have to travel publish more books a year for them it's just that the hard part is getting the true fans and it's usually an, a result of having had some success and, and so that's the hard part right it's easy for us to say having had some success this is how you do it guys it's easy you just write books that people love and sell enough of them to find the true fans duh <laughs> um so there's that so I, I, this is, like I said, it's something for probably mid-list authors and above is kind of where you're going to get to this point where, and, and having been published for a while, like it's going to be hard if maybe it's your very first series or, you know, we talk about it, it's always hard if you're jumping genres and pen names and things because you're kind of starting over from scratch each time. So it's a little easier if you pick a route and really write something that appeals to X number of people, a certain audience and give them more of what they love and, and that's what they'll they'll pay for you. But I get, I I have authors I love that, uh, I guess I'll talk more about this later, but like, I would happily sign up for their Patreon and they're not on there. (laughs) Like why, you know, it's like the older generation, people that started publishing in the seventies and eighties, you know, not everybody, lots of uh, older folks are totally dialed in and on there and stuff too, but some are not, maybe not know that's an option. (laughs) Like, Hey, want to make 3000 extra a month? Why wouldn't you? Uh, so, yeah, I, I really do think that it has to be you're finding the fans that are willing to pay more than the $5 for an ebook. Okay. And see, that makes sense. And like what you were saying earlier, my, my, I mean, I wrote only fantasy. I didn't jump from fantasy, but I wrote kids illustrated fantasy books and middle grade and young adult and adult. And those are way different audiences, you know? And so, and then also, I mean, I, I while you were talking, it, it reminded me of, you know, I do my direct sales where I take the works of Andrea. So everything I wrote during a certain period of time that relates to a certain series. And I make that, put that in an ebook and I add illustrations and I sell it to people direct. And even people who buy, who've already bought all of those books, they still buy those because they want everything. And so I'm like, that's true. See, that's a really good point. And Joe, did you want to make your comment about the tip thingy? Just uh, that I've heard people refer to sort of Patreon accounts that you don't get additional con- uh, content for. Uh, people just refer to them as a tip jar where it's like, hey, listen, just if you want to throw some money my way, I'll, I'll appreciate it. See, that's a really good, a good point. And both of you, like, no, not extra work. You know, anything that doesn't require extra work would be really nice. Um, I, I tried doing that with Patreon. Um, but it was like moving molasses to get people excited. I think I got like 15 Patreon supporters and I was like, I'm not doing enough to make it feel worth it to them, even though they probably were like, Nope, you're fine. But to me, I was like, I I don't want to take advantage of them, but that's me. Um, and my insecurities right there, but, um, okay. So that's the whole thing. Uh, Joe, you're the one that's going to know this. Who's the lady who Neil Gaiman, uh, I don't know if they're married or whatever, but she's the, did the whole book and YouTube about like the art of accept, you know, you have to be willing to like accept things people want to give you and how hard it is. I'll, I'll put her name in the show notes when I remember it later. Like I, there's a great Palmer. video on YouTube. Yeah. yeah. Amanda Palmer. Amanda that, Palmer. Yeah. So she's got a good video on, cause I feel that way too. I have like, I don't charge my Patreons every month cause I not, don't put anything, something out every month. I only charge them when I release new books. I just would feel like, ah, I don't want to do that if, if I'm not giving them something, but you know, you, uh, you have to realize that some people enjoy your book so much, hopefully 
<laughs> they just want to support you. Like that's the whole concept that with the Patreon that came from was the idea that, you know, the, the rich people in the middle, in the Renaissance or whatever wanted to support artists in order to have them create art. And that, that's just how you got, how you bought your bread. <laughs> I love that this has become like a counseling session for Andrea. <laughs> Also a commercial for Patreon. Are they going to sponsor us? Maybe they could kick some money our way. The tip jar. I don't know. All right. Okay. So we're going to go ahead and go on to um, the the next one. So how do we personally gain true fans? And I think this is where we're going to have the ideas for our, um, our listeners. And then um, I'm trying to make sure I'm not being super discouraging in my comments. I might be discouraging again, guys. I apologize. I'm not recreating everything though. Okay, Joe, go ahead. All right. So the largest hunk of my true fans came from my style clicking with them. Like the nice thing about a true fan, like a fan at this level, is you usually don't have to wonder why they like you because they will usually tell you. Uh, maybe it, like I've, these are emails that I've received and I'll go into it in a second why, you know, emails are so big on my little list here, but I'll get stuff like, Oh, well, thanks for writing a hero that looks like me or, uh, thanks for, I appreciate the lack of profanity and no overly steamy scenes, or I can't get enough of the banter between so-and-so and such-and-such, or the dragon is so cute. Like, you get a very clear idea from people who really love your stuff, why they love it, because they want to talk to you about it. I've gotten physical, you know, uh, fan letters that are in a, in a drawer that I can't point to because my hand disappears, but there's a drawer inside in the uh, cabinet of awesomeness that's got like handwritten stuff from folks. So super fans are usually pretty, I can't even say usually, a proportion of your super fans, a representative one will let you know why they like your stuff. And it really helps you guide. If you're, if you're looking to get more folks like that, it really helps you guide your way. And uh, I, also upgraded a lot of fans to super fans simply by acknowledging them. And I, this is not going to work for everybody and it's not really sustainable in huge numbers, but answering an email or answering them on Twitter. Uh, I don't know that you could create uh, or maintain a list of a thousand fans in that way, but I, 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 again, because they told me I've had folks be like, Hey, listen, they sent me a, like I answered them on Twitter and then they emailed me later. And like, it just felt so nice to, to know that you're, listening to your to your 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 fans and stuff like that so some of my oldest and dearest fans uh remain so because they sent a piece of fan mail or they tagged me in an image and i thanked them for it uh so engaging with fans uh in in even in in a, a very small way can have a really outsized uh, effect on on their uh you know loyalty and and affection for you as a creator and Often it's not even like all often all, all it will do is give them the uh, the desire to take a second look. And then when they take a second look, like, oh, what else do they have? Then they start seeing more stuff that they like and they just, you know, slide down the, uh, the, the path to being a super fan. So, yeah, acknowledging fans has worked really well for me. All right. And before I answer, Amanda Palmer, The Art of Asking. It was a TED Talk she did in 2013. So I will put that in the show notes. It's been obviously since probably 2013 since I watched it. So apologies for not remembering that there on the ball. Um, but So the question is, how do we personally gain true fans? And like I said earlier, to some extent, this simply happens if you sell enough books and some percentage of people really connect with your style and your content and you become kind of an I'll buy anything you put out person for them. 
them. But you can sometimes turn someone from casual to super by like putting out some bonus stuff or just kind of being there and connecting with people on social media, being personable in your newsletters. And if people start to like you as a person or feel grateful for all the free extras you give them, they're more likely to start to care about and want to support you rather than just being loyal to X series and the characters in that series. That said, I am certainly a true fan for authors who have never engaged in me in any way, never put out any content that I didn't have to pay for, and rarely, if ever, post on their website and social media. Like I said before, these are often authors who got started like maybe in the 70s and 80s, and they might be in their 60s or 70s and 80s now themselves, and maybe they aren't as up on things like Kickstarter and Patreon, and they don't necessarily realize, or maybe they don't care, or they don't realize that they can make a lot more if they sort of capitalize on how much, how many true fans they've built up over the years that, you know, unless you go to conventions or get email from readers, sometimes you don't even know that somebody is your true fan. I, I always assume that for every email you get saying something, there are probably nine other people that have that same thought and you just never know. So whenever somebody tells me that they recommend their books, my books to everybody they know that reads, I'm like, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Like I, I never want to underestimate how powerful that is. Cause I know, especially with like the older series that I don't market anymore. I suspect a lot of that there's some word of mouth in there or just, you know, fans mentioning them on blogs and, and social media. And, you know, it's taken 10 plus years to get to that point. It's not like it happens overnight. So if you're, it's not happening for you yet, hopefully it will soon. But yeah, I mean, you don't necessarily have to do all this extra work. It's sort of like the work you're doing every day and every year for your career is going to buy almost by as a byproduct. These fans will hopefully be created if you're, you know, doing your craft well, and, and you're kind of striking a chord with enough people. So I would say just continue on with what you're doing, but then realize at some point, like if you're annoyed with how little you're making from your book sales, but you know, you have lots of readers and lots of people who are, who do buy those releases, that may be the time, especially when it's worth doing. Like sometimes people do Patreon too early, where they're they're kind of hoping it's going to be a form of like, maybe people will find me on Patreon and start yeah, and sometimes that happens a little bit on Kickstarter, like if something gets selected, you may get a little lucky that way. But usually on Patreon, you have to bring the people to it. They're not just going to find you. Uh, so you have to create the the books first that create the true fans who then are willing to support you on Patreon. So it's not Patreon first, you know, uh, so that's something to keep in mind. But yeah, if you're doing all the other stuff, this will happen kind of gradually, even if you're uh, gruff and not available on the internet or even if you don't have a newsletter just those things all help you a little bit because they help you reach out to people like let them know when you started a kickstarter or patreon or, or whatever and i know i'm going to mention it again later but i mean Lindsay hits on it there a little bit like it, consistency you know being consistent even if i mean not letting two years of publishing get you discouraged and continuing like if you enjoy it then you're going to be doing it the rest of your life anyway so why why stop and take two years off? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I know I'm on a personality kick right now. Like it's all, all I'm thinking about because it's been so eye opening to how my, and I, I thought I knew myself. I mean, I've taken so many personality tests and things like that, but this whole Clifton strength thing. And again, they should be paying us just like Patreon should be paying us, but uh, taking the, that test really opened my eyes to who I am and how I am. And and working around your strengths instead of trying to make your weaknesses stronger um, is so beneficial. Anyway, but I'm going to say it depends on your strengths, 
so for example, communication is a top strength of mine. This means I'm good at communicating things in a way that people understand and for maximum effectiveness at driving ideas home. Um, I'm also number five, woo, which I hate the word woo. I'm like, ugh, really? But it stands for winning others over. And that means it's really easy for me to win people to my way of thinking easier than maybe it would be for someone else. Um, with those two strengths, I can, I can read how people are taking my messages and I can tweak accordingly to help accordingly to help them see things better my way. This works obviously best in person, but it also works in emails and social media. So my enthusiasm, and I was saying earlier, I'm not that enthusiastic a lot of the time, but I'm more enthusiastic than most people are because I'm that, you know, I'm like, Hey guys, stupid bubbly stuff. Um, my enthusiasm for something is contagious and I'm able to convert casual fans to super fans just by being myself. And that explains why my fantasy newsletter was so successful at getting opens and reads. Like it was a very well-read newsletter. Um, unfortunately, even true fans move on. And if you never respond to them again, they'll lose excitement. And that's me. I, I just, I hate email so much that I, and during my burnout phase, I didn't respond to emails for like five months. Like I just, you know, that burnout lasted a year and a half and I just barely got over that the past few months. Um, anyway, so both my, my winning others over strength and my focus strength work against me in this way. Woo personalities tend to move on quickly. Once they've met someone, made a connection, etc. They, they want to go make connections with other people. They thrive off of meeting strangers, not continuing relationships with everyone they meet. Um, I only have one or two really close friends at a time. I keep everyone else at arm's distance and it's not on purpose. Um, it, it's far from being on purpose. It's just hard for me to focus long enough to make relationships meaningful. Um, the amount of energy it takes depletes me re- me quickly. And I know that that is like an introvert quality, but it's, I'm, I'm like super extroverted, but it just, I just would rather maintain really deep relationships with only a couple people, one or two people. Um, and this is not necessarily applicable, super applicable to making a true fans. You don't have to have a deep relationship. You only need to make, you know, connect with them maybe once or twice. But, um, for me, it's harder for me to connect with them, um, over time. Like if I don't, if you don't respond to another, their second email ever, then, which is kind of something that would happen possibly with me, it's harder for them to want to stick around. You know, they're like, okay, so I still like them, but what happened, you know? Um, if you have high other high strengths, it might be harder to gain a fan in the first place, but it will be possibly easier to maintain that relationship over time. Um, and then to answer the question more directly for me, gaining true fans happens when I'm able to communicate with them in some way, just like what Lindsay and Joe said. Once I get them on my newsletter list, I'm more sure of my ability to win them over. This is going to be the same for everyone, but the gist of what I said above is if it's hard for you to answer an email, do it anyway after you go through that. Uh, do I? Yeah. Um like, I hope Nolan doesn't listen to this episode because he would kill me. If you knew I was saying this, it takes him two or three days to email somebody once. And I'm like, just do it. Just do it. Dang it. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, Nolan. <laughs> he, he's the INTJ. Because You know how long it takes me to make calls? Like I've got to make an appointment or something. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I can put that off for weeks. Yeah, that's, that's Nolan. And I'm like, just do it. It's like the anticipation is worse than the actual call or email itself. Anyway, so um, do it anyway, like I said, but recognize it'll probably be easier for you to maintain that relationship over time than it would be for someone with focus and woo as top strengths who finds it easier to gain fans in the first place. And again, going back to Nolan, like we did, I've talked about my gaming YouTube channel here. I haven't done anything there for a few months, so I haven't brought it up again, but he, once I brought him on board, it was 
it was a phenomenal partnership because I'm really great at getting people excited in the first place, but I suck at maintaining things. And he's really great at maintaining things. And so I was like, okay, you take over comments. So he would go in and comment on things and he built relationships just by answering people's comments on the YouTube channel. And they became true fans of our channel. And we, we got money through them, which makes me sound like such a philanthropist, but, um, you know, between the two of us, I would make the initial connection and then he would maintain that connection. That worked really, really well. So I don't know how that help, helps our listeners though. Um, um, I don't know. Well, let me, <laughs> I, I kind of want to comment on this because okay. you're actually talking by like um, being a personality, which is, uh, you know, I think that it is, you have to continually do it to keep people engaged and interesting, interested. I feel like with authors, if you're able to like write one series people really love which easier said than done they will go back to that series every few years and reread it and it's like they're never going to forget about you because they fell in love with that series and they're going to like share it with their kids or their grandkids and I, I'm not sure, like, cause I, I know, like, you hear YouTube personality people talk and how, how much their traffic drops off and stuff if they're not continuously putting out new stuff. And I, I know authors feel that way, too. And I always, like, I have much better months when I release new books. No surprise there. So it is hard to, even as an, if it's, like, your series that they fall in love with, you still have to kind of put effort into keeping it selling, usually. I mean, some, if you're with traditional publishing and, you know, they keep your series in print and, and selling and they do some marketing. Yay. Uh, I'm not sure it happens that way for most authors, but yeah, it was just, it was interesting listening to you talk. Cause I feel like you're almost talking like as a personality an online personality and obviously a real personality, a real person and that kind of how it would work that way versus maybe somebody falling in love with one of your series that you've been 10 books in and it becomes one of their favorite series. Cause I certainly have authors where they haven't put out anything new in 20 years in that series, but every now and then I go back and read read it and I still love it and like if I heard that they were doing Patreon or something now I'd be like oh sure I'll support them I I enjoyed those books and I've read them many times so uh, like I said easier said than done to create a series that becomes that for somebody and probably not all of your series will hit like that you'll but like I have maybe two or three that are real fan favorites and then a lot of ones that are like huh you know, we'll read them because we like your that style, but they didn't, for whatever reason, they don't connect. And I, even I, looking back, like, there are some of my series where like, oh, I have a much stronger series than this one. I don't know what my point is there, just that not, if you're able to kind of create that series that people fall in love with, you don't necessarily, I think, have to continuously put in more effort other than maybe keeping it selling, you know, trying to keep it going at a kind of a baseline level too. Because you said it yourself, not every fan is for life. And uh, you do get some attrition. People pass away, you know, people, I mean, on, I mean, I've had that happen a lot of times. People have like responded to newsletters, like this person is gone now. And, you know, so can you take them off the mailing list? And it's just kind of a sad thing, that fact of life that you see over as your career goes on longer and longer. <laughs> uh, so that was a bit rambly. I don't know. Just a thought. No, that's, that's helpful. You're, you have a point there. Like, I mean, my favorite author, my all-time, not all-time favorite author, but my favorite author since I've indie published is a romance author. And I'm not going to mention her by name because um, I don't know if she listens to the episodes or not. Um, but her books, I just went through a phase the last month or so where I read them for the, like the third or fourth time. I just went through and read all my favorites all over again. And which is unfortunate. I would love to give her money for those again, but I can't because I've already bought them on Amazon. Um, but that's, you make a really good point there. Like, you know, and um, yeah. 
So <laughs> I feel like if you become that for someone, like I have an author I love that she kind of brought me into sci-fi romance as a fan and she traditionally published. And I don't think that genre really ever worked well for trad publishing. It's just too niche. And she hasn't put out anything new in like eight years, but I, I want more. And I go and look, I'm like on her Facebook, you know, like have you on her website, I'm like looking for stuff every year. Or so I think about it and I often reread those books. So that is the goal we all have. We want to become that for our, our readers. <laughs> and like I said, I don't have the magic answer on how you do that. So <laughs> is this, is this the motivational episode or what? <laughs> yeah. And that author, that author of mine, um, she's not consistent. Like she'll publish a, like three books in one year and then she'll go two or three years without publishing anything. And if, and if you're that kind of author, um, it's super frustrating on the reader's perspective to be like, Oh, does she have any new, new stuff? Nope. Dang it. I'm gonna have to reread her old stuff. So just, um, again, a hint towards the consistency. Um, okay. So what are things we've done in the past that lost us fans? And I feel like Joe hasn't talked in forever. Sorry, Joe, but it is Lindsay's turn again. <laughs> uh, Joe has to like chime in more. I always have something to say to what you guys say. Joe's just quietly doing his own thing over there. Not He's being polite and not butting in. Unlike me where I'm like, ah, my turn, Andrea, I have something to say. Um, I'll make this quick though. Things that have, the main thing that I have done that has, I know has lost me fans because they've emailed and told me so going exclusive with Amazon and not putting out new books everywhere at the same time anymore. And that's probably why, I mean, I would say that's the number reason, number one reason I will not do the exclusivity thing forever. I'm using it now because I can make more money and get everything set for retirement early. Not that authors generally <laughs> really want to retire, but it's nice to know everything is cool whenever you want to stop working or cut way back. But that's kind of a limited amount of time I'm going to put up with that exclusivity thing because the fans hate it I mean the the KU readers love it obviously and but it's very frustrating as we all know to have to sign that exclusivity deal to have your books in Kindle Unlimited so that's the main thing um I would say and I'm not sure anybody's actually emailed me this maybe a couple times but just doing new series or characters that are drastically different and possibly offensive to readers who came in via the older stuff I think I remember I did have some complaints with my second series when I put in a sex scene in book one and they were like whoa what is this we don't like this we prefer books that don't have profanity and sex scenes not to like mock anybody that prefers that but I mean, don't even don't email the author and like lecture them. That's not cool. You got good reads. Go rant on, on there with it. But um, that would be the other thing. If you really if you do something a lot different, you can lose people that liked you for X certain reason. Like maybe you were clean and wholesome romance, and then you decided with one series you want to let loose and have sex scenes and have or profanity. For some reason, those are the two things that get people really riled up. Uh, politics, religion, too, to some extent. But I feel like. Um, that's more understandable, the politics, like having a strong moral opinion on things. Like, why? Just skip the sex scene. Like, that seems like a dumb thing to rant about. Sorry. Apparently, I was going to rant before I let Joe talk. Joe? Uh, Unfortunately, I don't have a tremendous amount to say, but I'll try to say it a lot. Uh, Yes, and uh, I also have, have heard from true fans. And again, you don't typically... Because true fans tend to be very enthusiastic about how much they like you, when they don't, when they stop liking you, that enthusiasm fades. So you frequently don't actually hear from them when you, you know, on, on why they left. But I have had uh, fans who were very enthusiastically uh, supporting me uh, directly let me know once I released the uh, Shards of Shadows series, my first like series length attempt at uh, exclusivity. They were like, "Yeah, I'm just 
I guess I'll never know what the, what's in those books because I'm not going to do a, an Amazon exclusive. Um, and also I, I have three, like, you know, what I would call mainstream series. Well, now I probably have five mainstream series, but speaking of the period of time that, that, that we're covering here, um, epic fantasy, uh, space opera sci-fi and uh, uh and steampunk and there are people who are like this is great and like they're they were happy that i was alternating between them because they well they, they like to be able to alternate between those two but every now and then i would throw in an oddball and they'd be like i don't really like the oddball and uh and eventually my tastes and and my evolu- my evolving uh, uh style would stray far enough from what they were enthusiastic about that just like uh eh. Maybe if you come back to the series I like, then I'll get back, I'll come back to you. Like I've I've had some some indication of that as well. And also, I've had that happen in reverse. I've had the instance where somebody found one of my oddball stories and was like, "This is amazing! It's so unique! I've never read anything like this." And then you know they go and they they expect me to keep on giving them these these like these gems of strangeness that they can't find anywhere else and i'm like well you get maybe one every two years (laughs) so uh yeah basically divergence from the taste that attracted them in the first place and making the book unavailable in their their platform of choice are like the two main offenders um for me it's stopping writing altogether which is kind of an obvious thing Uh, when i switched my new releases to ku or moved all my books to ku completely um, I actually, my, my true fans complained, but they moved with me. I know of several that were like, I hate Amazon. And then they're like, I loved your latest book. I'm like, so you're buying on Amazon then. <laughs> anyway, um, I felt bad about that, of course, but I really appreciated them for moving with me. Um, I've lost man, faint, lost fans mainly by not releasing books, which is a huge, important part of this thousand true fans concept. Uh, you need to be releasing material quick, you know, quickly and all that. Um, Lindsay, did you want to make your comment or uh, do you want me to finish my part? <laughs> oh, no, you can finish. I just wanted to comment before we moved on to the next episode. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, also my fantasy newsletter list, I've only emailed them a couple of times this year. I'm on hiatus. Yes. But I also don't plan to return for a long, long time. Um, I kind of, it's not like I'm throwing a temper tantrum or anything like that. Maybe I am, but I just, I burned out so bad. It was such an epic burnout. And, and then I also realized I was running my list in a way that was, you know, I've talked about that in the past, but um, anyway, so not communicating with them is pretty much forced them to drop their super fan status. And I recognize that. Um, and then, but like Lizzie also said, like, also like Lindsay said, changing the tone of my books, the Clinton Chronicles, when they were first released were geared more to middle grade kids and I've rewritten them now and they better match other things I've written now, but my Mosaic Chronicles has a darker feel. Uh, this really turned an awful couple of readers and they actually emailed me. They're like, yeah, I don't like this. It's like dark. And I'm like, it's not even that dark compared to what's out there, but, uh, I'm sure I had a lot of others who didn't email me, but, um, anyway, it's still fairly mild and it is my flagship series. I've gained most of my fans through that series and my true fans have all, except for a handful have all come from that series. And so, I don't know. Well, the Clinic Chronicles now the way it is now, it's doing super well. Um, you know, super well compared to what it was before. And so I am gaining fans for that. So anyway, go ahead, Lindsay. Yeah, I always I also did a darker one with my Dragon Gate series, especially book one. It kind of gets less dark after that and had some definitely had some emails and reviews, like a two-star review right off, like, oh man, this sucks. Lindsay's gonna work on this series forever and not do more of the stuff that I want, or for not forever, but like for the next year or two. It's like, ah, oh, thanks. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so it is, that is a, a possible, I don't know what the word is, 
problem that you can encounter. If you want to be creative and change up your styles, you have to decide. Like, I, I do have other readers that, you know, they they find they're like, yeah, this is different. But then as they read more of them, they were like, oh, actually, it's kind of, you know, a lot of the stuff we like about your style is still there. But my comment was actually kind of for all of us, because I think we all mentioned Kindle Unlimited. Um, I think that a true fan often will follow you to another store. I have had a number of people that said like, oh, they only buy books. They started buying books for the Kindle because my books were only on Amazon. And so I think a lot of true fans, like I, I feel like I've bought stuff before from places I don't usually shop because that was where like the, uh, what do you call it? Advanced reader copy was on sale or something. So it's not like, you're going to make everybody hate you. But I think the problem in this case is that some people have really strong feelings about Amazon. (laughs) You know, they don't want to support Amazon. Not necessarily like if you switch from Kobo to Barnes and Noble, they might be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll get that now. Because a lot of these things, you just get the different app on your, whatever your device is. You're not, it's not like you have to go buy a Kindle. Uh, So realize that, that um, probably you're kind of sleeping with the enemy (laughs) to some, in some people's opinions, whereas like nobody would probably have object to you suddenly releasing something exclusive on your own site. I feel like almost everybody would like be in support of that. Like, yeah, you're going to keep more of the money. Like we want, I'll come to your site, even though I usually shop at Apple. Uh, So just something to be aware of. Like it's not necessarily that true fans generally will follow you, but if you become if you if you're clashing up against some corporation that they've decided is the evil empire, that could be the problem more than you them not being a true fan. Yeah, that's a good point. I love authors. We all have this hate love relationship with Amazon. We're like, yes, thank you for the money. I love you, and I hate you at the same time. Um, and that that's true with readers and pretty much everybody in general. Um, okay, so what are things we've seen other authors do to gain or lose fans? There are a few very clear, very public examples of major authors uh, revealing opinions or beliefs that range from unpopular to dangerous. Uh, And in general, skeletons in one's closet can turn away even the most stalwart fan if they're rotten enough. So there's plenty of ways that you can that you can lose fans in that way because again we're talking about you gain super fans by having a connection and that connection can seem very personal and when that personal connection it reveals something about the person that you don't like about people it can feel like a betrayal and it can flip very quickly in the other direction uh, in terms of gaining uh, fans, uh, I've seen folks, particularly mostly people in other mediums uh, like art, will gain huge numbers of fans uh, by way of collaboration with someone with a similar but so far unexplored audience. So artists I know have done animations for big YouTubers and have basically gotten an entirely new refreshed career by doing so. Musicians bringing on guests. I can't think of any specific examples in the author world, but it's downright certain that more than one career has had their you know, has, has been made uh, by starting to work with another author or, or producing an entry in an extended universe series and, and getting popular in that way. And now I realize uh, uh, Kevin J. Anderson and Dune is an excellent example where he had certainly a career, but Kevin J. Anderson is now inextricably linked to, to the, the, the ongoing Dune novels. And I would say that a fair number of people who became avid readers of his were actually avid readers of Dune and just really wanted to support everything that came out. And it just sort of, branched into super fandom my only comment on this one is i think i was thinking lose fans more than gain fans we talked a little bit about gaining fans already but being loathsome 
in the fan's eyes on social media or your blog or newsletter, and you may not think you're being loathsome, but if they are on the other side of, <laughs> you know, the opinion, whether it's politics or religion or just it's, it's become a very hard, difficult time to navigate without putting your foot in your mouth. And people, I feel like people are a lot quicker to take offense right now. Maybe everybody's just really agitated because things are not going well in the world and with people's lives. And it's, it's very easy to say something that ticks people off. So I, you know, I think Andrew's going to talk about this, but I never talk about politics, <laughs> religion, anything vaguely, possibly controversial on my author pages, just because like, if people do, that's their choice. You know, I'm sure they know they might lose some fans, but I, I always try not to assume that I know who my fan is because I've had too many emails from people that I would, that are like complete opposite spectrum politics and religions for me and they like my books and it's sometimes puzzling to me because <laughs> I think some of what I believe naturally as an author this will come through in your writing and your characters um but yeah I don't you know want to go out of my way to alienate anyone almost everybody I feel like if you just talk not on social media but if you talk to people at a, at a dinner or something you can get along with almost anybody it's really weird how uh extreme everybody is on the internet like you probably only disagree on like three percent of things in the world and but you're gonna make them your arch enemy because of that okay sorry ranty ranty uh but yeah being loathsome in the fans eyes or we talked about before just if you really change if you completely change genres and your style changes a lot like the genre thing might not be that big of a deal but if you go from like happy and comedic to I want to stretch my you know my muscles as a creator and and do something really dark you know that may not be what they sign on for so um just a comment with uh Joe I mean Brandon Sanderson Will of Time you know I mean he's he was big already but Will of Time kind of exploded him to a lot of people who didn't know who he was and then of course Michael Anderley <laughs> he's like he's like hey be co-author with me and then that author you know becomes pretty successful um, but this is why I always recommend an author avoid any controversial topic, mainly those that have nothing to do with our books. Um, I've seen so many authors lose fan over, fans over simple posts on Facebook. Uh, to me, my personal opinion is our goal is to entertain readers. Even if you write political thrillers, discussing politics is only going to lose you fans regardless of which side you support. And because political thrillers can be enjoyed by pretty much any party unless you put current political things in them and make it obvious which side you support. So um I'm not the kind of person who will stop enjoying a book because I find that the author has opinions I don't agree with, but there are tons of people like Lindsay was saying who are that way. And it's better to keep your opinions to yourself or not and deal with the inevitable fallout that you may or may not hear about. And, um, Larry, Larry Korea actually comes to mind. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he is super open about politics and stuff. And he's like, I don't want people reading me who disagree with me. And his books are, I mean, he's been super like wildly successful. So I'm like, I guess it's your mileage may vary and just recognize that it does affect you and it can lose fans for you, but it can also gain fans for you. Um, but for me, I just, I just avoid controversial topics. They make me uncomfortable. Okay. So um, and Lindsay's got a point. We're going to try to stick to our, our script now because we do have three. I mean, we could do a split episode and do Q and A's. I mean, would you like to do that? I think we should power through and finish. Okay. And okay. We're, we'll do it. We're, well, I am the one who's been wandering off on rant. So I'm going to just, that was, <laughs> that was a note for me, not for you, Andrea. <laughs> okay. I said, I'll try to stick to the script so we can finish up. 
I think listeners enjoy the discussion, the back and forth. That's why they listen to us over guest interviews, you know, because guest interviews don't always have the back and forth that we, when we have guests on that we get. (laughs) Yeah. We can't grill them. Like we can grill each other. Like we try to be polite. Yes. Like, do you really believe that? (laughs) Okay. So how does a thousand true fans apply when you write in different genres? So, and then basically what have you done or not done to get readers to follow you to other genres? Take it away, Sir Joe. Uh, if you take the strict definition of true fan, then absolutely that fans will follow you across genres. Uh, I, I've had fans inform me that they've worked through all of my fantasy, which is the largest portion of my catalog, and then decided to like sort of hold their nose and try my sci-fi because they don't read sci-fi, but they're out of fantasy, and uh, it's going to be a while before my next fantasy. And then they'll be like, not only did I enjoy your your sci-fi book, but it turns out I enjoy sci-fi books. <laughs> like I just didn't, I I hadn't found any good ones yet, and now I realize that uh, that that they can be good. Similarly, I've had a lot of people tell me that uh, mine was their first steampunk. Like I had already done sci-fi and fantasy, and then I tried steampunk, and they're like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. And they're like, now it's their main their main thing. I've got one person on on Twitter who constantly asks for more steampunk stuff. Uh, I don't do much specifically to entice fans of one genre to follow over to another. Again, true fans tend to be fairly engaged with you uh, and and uh, they'll follow you through whatever you typically spread news through. So just generally mentioning stuff is usually enough for them to, oh, I didn't know about that. Let me go get that. But uh, yeah, like the simple act of of letting people know what you're doing and what's coming out will... will um, typically attract your true fans over to other genres if they didn't know about them. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's all it really takes. That's a nice thing about true fans is they're easy to lead into, uh, into your other things. Right. The casual fans are probably the ones that, the ones that are not going to follow you to something that's not in their wheelhouse. But if your voice, you know, your style, the types of characters you write, if they go with you to the new genre, I think the true fans will be more likely to follow. I've had people that, again, like Joe said, held their nose and read my pen name. There's this sci-fi romance with the more saucier scenes <laughs> more frequently in there, uh, you know, and they're like, I don't like those kind of books. I don't like those kind of scenes. Oh, but these are the same kind of books you write. They just have sex scenes. I just skip those. So if you, you're giving them something they love and that's what drew them to you and you continue to do that in the new genre, then they're going to be more likely to follow. If your stuff is radically different with each new series, you kinda, you're going to risk not giving them more of what made them fans in the first place. So I would say, though, it's probably good to do a couple of series in one genre before hopping, because as we've kind of talked about, getting true fans is something that happens as a result of having sold a bunch of books. And your first series is kind of rare for that to really take off. Kudos to those that had to happen. Um, But if you do a couple series in the same genre that, you know, it gives you more time to build up readership and make sure they they really like you (laughs) you know you've given them a lot of what they like and i think at that point they're going to be more likely to say oh space opera huh okay i'll i'll give it a try yeah yeah like they said my super fans have pretty much read everything i've written even if they don't usually like the genre or you know i mean so okay so this makes things difficult for algorithms so the last time i tried writing romance was three three four years ago and before i was ready to i told my fantasy readers about it and part of why it failed back then was because i wasn't ready to write it completely and now i'm writing only medical romance only romance and i'm just not able to do as quickly as i would like to but um 
I think that, you know, it messed up the algorithms telling my fantasy readers, but I think that if I'd been writing more, writing more quickly, it wouldn't have been such a big deal in the long run as it ended up being uh, with those books. So um, it generally isn't hard to convince super fans to read other genres or books, in my opinion. And, and like what they're saying, they love your stuff. They're going to be excited to find more stuff by you. Um, even when I told readers about my kids illustrated books, the, you know, the, the little picture books I wrote for my kids, people have no kids in their lives bought them. Um, and if they're more casual, it's harder to get them to go to other genres, but anyway. Okay. So how do we encourage casual fans to become true fans? So as I, as I mentioned earlier, engagement and acknowledgement have worked wonders for me. Also just being genuine is a, like, I, I find a lot of people connect with you more when the person that you purport to be is who you really are. It's easier to play the character when it's not a character. Uh, but uh, so yeah, re- replying to fan mail or just connecting online has been really effective. Also just making sure people know the full breadth of your catalog. Uh, Cause often the first book that a casual reader encounters might not be as to the, as close to their tastes as some of your other books are. So uh but they might be interested enough to give your other books a try. So this is why back matter is super duper important. And you might even like, I always try to put, you know, I focus the back matter on the series that it's in, but I also always mention that I have other series. Originally I mentioned every book that I have in my back matter. And now I tend to link to series pages. so that each, it's just one line each for each of my series. Uh, and yeah, it just, you can convert uh, every Every book that a casual fan reads is one step closer to them being a super fan. Uh, and so just making sure they know about your books and you know, giving yourself that chance to, to catch them with the next one or the one after that is uh, very important. So I think in talking about, we, we talked a little bit about series that really stick with readers, that they love, that they want to reread and come back to years later. A lot of that is because it's really appealed on some deeply emotional level. And I'm not going to say go kill a character to get that necessarily, but when you, I don't know about you, but when I think about, about the books I really remember over the years, especially from my childhood, it's like where the red fern grows or old yeller or something. And it's because when you have these emotions as a reader, it just imprints in your mind. And you may even hate the author at first because they tortured you, but you'll kind of look back later and be like, oh, I, I totally remember that book. I recommend that book. That was such a great book. Uh, so that's not the only way, of course, but, you know, in thinking how to craft these series that really stick with people, it, you know, and you can make them laugh too. Uh, I think the stronger, more dramatic emotions stick with us more. It kind of, triggers sort of that negative sort of the same sort of spot in your brain where like you saw the saber-toothed tiger so you you know never to return to that spot because you were in danger like the really strong and sometimes strongly negative emotions are the ones that really stick with you but that said you know you can of course like write right like sometimes if you just happen to write a series that it's perfectly lovely there's no drama, terrible drama, dramatic things happening, but the reader happened to read it at a time in their life uh, where they were going through some stuff. It'll also stick with them. And obviously we can't do anything about that as a author to construct those moments. Um, I know I've definitely had a lot of people they'll reach out to me where like they were going through cancer treatment or, or somebody in their family was or something really darkly affecting them. Uh, you know, and that's, I don't know. It's just that the longer series you write, I would say the more chance you have of kind of hitting somebody emotionally. It's a little tougher if you're writing standalones because 
you really have to do something powerful in that one book. That's the only chance you get to imprint on their memory. Whereas I, I you know, I think of as a fan of characters and, and longer series, that's what I'm drawn to. Like I fall in love over the course of a series. Like oftentimes some of my favorite series, the first book I was like, eh, characters are okay. But by the end you love them. And some authors do like 20 books in a series and that just becomes a part of your life. Um, so I, that's just something to think about when you're like, how can I construct these series that make people give them the fodder to become true fans a little rambling there the other thing uh you know we talked a little bit about like giving away extra stuff for free and kind of consistently giving more to what drew readers to you in the first place uh and it, you know it's also a challenge when your muse wants you to be creative and do different things i've been there so i would say if you kind of do 90 percent of what you publish is similar in voice and style and you know, types of characters and stories you do. And that's what's drawn to people. They'll probably forgive you if you do some experimental stuff on the side. All right, Andrea, I'll pass it to you as I did not stick to the script because I don't know, Joe was talking and I was like, Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> thinking about things. I've been thinking about the series that I love and that really have stuck with me and impacted me and why. And I think that's part of it is having that emotional connection. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because like the author I was talking about earlier, her books, like even even though she writes clean fan clean fantasy, clean romance, and clean romance is usually super upbeat. Almost all of her books that I absolutely love have this really strong emotional part, um, and they don't. She doesn't super highlight that because most clean romance is upbeat, but it's deep and it's it just really hits my heart, you know. And it just you know anyway. So, and I'm, my answer to this is by being consistent and uh, that's not going to be a surprise to anybody, but emailing your newsletter consistently and being a consistent version of yourself in those emails. So for example, being super cranky and then super cheerful, every other email is only going to give readers whiplash, choose which version of your personality you want to go, go with and stay with that all the time. Not even joking there. Um, If you're generally a cranky or snarky person, maintain that uh, because you're going to attract readers who love that cranky, snarky personality. If you're generally cheerful, maintain that because even one-off emotions can turn off readers, which is discouraging. But on the flip side, I've found that one-off emotions when I'm generally cheerful also catch attention and convert casual fans to super fans. So it's going to go both ways. Um, I do generally recommend being consistent regardless of your current mood though, because if you are constantly stressed, but you choose a cheerful, I mean, you're going to be constantly stressed every single email. Um, okay. So another suggestion is by doing random fun things and you're going to want to think outside the box for this. Um, sometimes all gaining a super fan takes is to catch a casual fan's attention with something different and you can pull them and ask them totally random question. I mean, help them get involved in some ways or just pull them random questions about random things. Um, you can offer giveaways of, of, again, random things that apply to your books and are only open to your newsletter list. For example, if you have a character who collects rubber bands, do a giveaway of that book and a rubber band collection. Um, do character interviews in a unique to you and your character's way. Uh, share excerpts from your book that not only rekindles old super vans, but it can also convert new ones. Uh, there's tons of different things that you can do to convert people. And again, the sky's the limit and you know yourself, you know what you are going to be attracted to and what will work for your readers. And if you don't, then you'll figure it out. Um, okay. So we have one last topic. Um, I'm going to hand it off to Lindsay to bring it up. Right. So kind of now that we've got you all excited to find your super fans, <laughs> let's just finish up by talking about how do you find these people to start with? Like we talked about earlier in the show, they're just not going to show up if you start a Patreon, right? Like it's, you know, unfortunately you're going to have to learn some of the marketing side and naturally put out good stories. Um, I, 
But I, I will say I've seen a lot of indie authors blow up by giving a lot of stuff away for free to start with or concurrently. Um, I've seen people do it by podcasting their entire series chapter by chapter. I've seen people really have success by serial, serializing hundreds of thousands of words online, doing that all for free and consistently over time, like months and years. Usually when those people did start charging, that's they blew up right away because their fans that had kind of found them over time and, and gathered like a snowball going down a hill and, and got in a bigger fan base, they were dying to have permanent copies of what they'd kind of been getting in bits and chunks for over the months. And that was enough that when they like released on Amazon and the other stores that, you know, it, like Joe was talking about earlier, just that thousand people buying it on day one, you know, it, it gets the kind of kicks in the algorithm and, and gets things going so that you, you know, those people have like still flourishing careers like 10 years after they did this because uh, they just built such a big fan base back at the beginning. And I'm not saying that this is the only way you need to go give away your first 10 books for free. And, Cause that's not what I did. Um, but there's something to be said for building a fan base first and then starting to charge. So maybe book first series. If you know, you're struggling to get sales at four ninety nine. you know, make the first series, make book one free, make the first couple books, 99 cents for a time. It, it doesn't have to be forever or, or just do your normal thing, release your books at full price, but then do something free concurrently on the side where you publish your regular novels uh, just some food for thought if you're struggling. Like if you're, everything's fine, you launched into KU, it's just going swimmingly, then you don't have to do this stuff. <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, they're going to appreciate it if you do some free stuff. But, you know, the earlier I mentioned that somebody started right out on Patreon with a $65 donation for the first time, he said he found me by listening to all the free audiobooks I have up on YouTube first. And he was just like, yeah, here you go. I, I enjoyed these. So I wanted to pay what they were worth to me. So that's just something to think about. Um, you know, like I said, you don't have to do it. It's just maybe if you're struggling and you're not seeing the success you want and you haven't been able to build up a fan base or find those true fans yet, could be something to consider. And I don't know if you guys remember, but that, that the Western author comes to mind here. Um, he was, he was an older guy. Like he had stage four cancer. He beated it and he started writing books much later in life. Um, I don't remember his name. Otherwise I'd look him look him up, see what he's doing now, but he had tons of Western books that he sold for only 99 cents. And because he was releasing quickly and frequently, and because he charged little, he gains, he gained super fans very quickly. Um, and that honestly, that the charging only 99 cents doesn't work super well. If you're only releasing a book or two a year, it would take too long to make it worth it. If you're doing that much or doing that little, but, um, um, but again, like Lindsay said, giving things away is a great way to gain fans and it's not a waste of money. And, and it's not like they would buy it anyway, if they don't know who you are um, anyway. So, and then also of course, running regular promotions, cycling through things, basically all the stuff that we've talked about previously. And uh, I'll just, I'll just add here that uh, yeah, absolutely giving stuff away for free is a fantastic way to do this. Uh, my career basically started once I, I did free series starters. Uh, again, it's had better impact in the past, but it's still a marvelously effective method. And uh, uh, if you're doing, if you're doing like serialized stuff online, it, it, it really synergizes well with what we're talking about where you engage with people, because like if you're on some sort of a social site, that you're sharing this stuff, then there's going to be comments and engagement and you can speak with people and engage with them and just sort of give them more of your personality in that way. And then you end up with a lot of people who are really connected to you as an individual 
who then will hopefully follow along to the stuff that you start charging for, or just follow straight across the stuff you're already charging for. So if you, if you can do short stuff for free regularly, uh, you can often build up a pretty good career, uh, uh, following that way. I, okay. I should add to before we, <laughs> before I know you're trying to finish off. No, I actually had one more quick comment. It oh, was, I, I found out who the author was, but go ahead. Lindsay. Go ahead. No. Okay. Wait. Okay. <laughs> I, I just want to, because I said I didn't do that, but actually that's a lie. I did audio books for my first three audio books and I put them out on, I think it was iTunes at the time was sort of the option for putting out podcast stuff. And it did work. I got people, I have people today. They're like, yeah, I originally found the first Emperor's Edge series by the free versions you were putting out on uh patio books was the name of the site at the time it's changed hands a couple times since then but so you know i think it's a thing you can try if things aren't working it it does take time and i i did want to say that there's kind of this misconception that people that get stuff for free will never pay for it but you'd be surprised people just listening looking for audiobooks to listen to while they're cooking you know they find something they like they go and buy them you know, I think I mentioned Neil Gaiman earlier for other reasons, but he's got, you know, we've commented before on his, he's got a YouTube interview where he says when he started getting pirated in Russia, all of a sudden he started selling tons of books in Russia because, uh, you know, you find something that was, remember Napster guys? I used to find, I was like, this is a free way to find music. And I bought so many CDs during that couple of years where I was on Napster and it was a thing. All right. Sorry, Andrew. Uh, Give us the author. (laughs) Yeah, his name is CJ Petit. Petit, I don't know, but he's still doing really, really well. Like I know because publisher Rocket just told me. (laughs) So um, he he does have some books up at $3.99. So if you guys want to go check him out just to see what he does, how often he's publishing, things like that. When he first started out, he published only at 99 cents. Like I said, he's got a bunch up at $3.99 now, but he's, um, he's just, his philosophy was to just give give to his readers and give, you know, he just wanted to make things accessible and that made him successful. So, um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I think that was, I think, I think we've done enough. (laughs) I think we've done more than enough. Yes. Anyway, do either of you have any, uh, further comments, anything you want to add? Nope. Commented (laughs) enough. I've commented (laughs) so very much on this episode, including in sections I wasn't supposed to comment on. (laughs) all right everyone um thank you for listening and thank you to joshua pearson this is actually his last time producing the show he is he got a job making a gazillion more and it has a higher more stressful schedule and so he's not gonna be producing our show anymore um but so thank you to josh for the last two years of helping us out we really appreciate that um and you guys you guys listeners whatever not Lindsay and joe i don't know why my brain was like you guys <laughs> you can find the show notes or leave a comment or question at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six uh come join the facebook group and yeah we will talk to you all later bye 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 so long everybody